0: Well, good morning, First City family. Good morning, good morning. My name is Taryn Howe, one of the pastors here. So glad to have you here with us this morning. Thank you for joining us, everyone here. Thank you. Everyone online that's joining us, we are so glad that you're here with us. And then I want to say a big welcome to all of our new people. If you're a first-time guest here, we are honored that you are here. We know it can be kind of difficult to show up at church sometimes in a new place. It can be kind of awkward and weird, and that's okay. We just are glad that you're here, and we hope that you get connected here and find this place to be just find it to be home to you. So, thank you for being here. Last week, uh, actually, I got I had to just echo a little bit of what Savannah said before I just dive right in. Yesterday, if you didn't. Get to go to breakfast with Sand. I know several people couldn't go and they helped set up during the week. I just want to echo Savannah's thank you to you all. We got to serve, it was, we don't know the number exactly, we can figure that out. We haven't calculated it all, but we're thinking about 600 to 650 people total. Over 800, oh. (laughs) That's why somebody else should say what the numbers are, because I'm wrong. Over 800 people and so many children were there. And it was, I'm gonna tell you, the event went so smoothly and so well. We had uh, so many volunteers. It, it was just an awesome, exhausting, wonderful time. At the end of it, I was like, I am so glad we only do this once a year. But I mean, it was wonderful. It was wonderful, but I'm glad we get a whole year to set up again because it was, it was a lot. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's what I love about it is I love being a part of a church body. That doesn't just talk the talk, but you walk the walk, and you really uh, serve people well. And these foster families that you served are working to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we had the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. And so what an honor that was, and just thank you for being a part of that. It's so much fun to be a part of a church family who actively serves in our community. And my prayer is that next year we do it in, in an even greater way. That we love on our community in, in, in even a better way than that. So, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, last week, we got into our series, uh, we started our Christmas series down to earth, talking about Jesus coming down to earth. And we talked about the nativity and kind of the manger scene that we see. And we've taken some different characters. Last week, we talked about the wise men. Remember, we said their gifts? They had gold and frankincense. And, but wait, there's myrrh, right? Okay, we said, yeah, you know, last week, we said that. Now, I mentioned last week very briefly, you may, you may have missed it, but you know gold, we, we, you know what that is, very expensive thing. Frankincense, I said it was kind of rare, kind of pointed out that it's this expensive sap, actually, that comes from a tree. I, I didn't talk about it too much, but I saw this picture after, after church last week that I just had to share with you. It's a fake news article, but I just thought it was really funny. I wish I would have had it last week. It said, wise men who brought myrrh thought they all agreed on a spending limit. And I just thought, that's, that's quality stuff right there, that, you know. Good, good material, yeah. I got a good laugh out of that. I was thinking, yeah, y'all, y'all will too. But uh, yeah, so um, last, the, last week we talked about the wise men, with the gifts represented, uh, that they had gold and frankincense and myrrh and really represented that Jesus is king, that Jesus is our high priest, and that Jesus is our savior. And today we're going to be talking about the shepherds, the shepherds' significance and what, what role do they play and what do they teach us about Jesus Uh, Before we get into that, if you will, let's bow our heads and pray together just over the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this church family, and I thank you for every single person here, every single person watching online. I pray that today they hear what you would desire for them to hear. Any words that I say, uh, maybe they be led and guided by your Holy Spirit. Anything that I say that's not of you, would it just fall short of everyone's ears, so that in my message today that Jesus, you are glorified and that you are honored above all else. We thank you for the Bible, these words that you've preserved for us, that we can look back and see who you are and uh, how wonderful you are in the way that you love us. We praise you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about the shepherds and the, the area we, we see the, the biggest portion of scripture that we can really see about them is from Luke chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles. To Luke chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we have the sermon notes in the backs of the pews you can follow along in. But I'm going to read this whole section, Luke 2, 8 through 20, and then we'll uh, talk about it. We'll open it up some. So Luke 2, 8 through 20. Starts off that night, and just to clarify... I have this highlighted so I remember to say that. That night, if you read right, what came right before it, is the night Jesus was born. So that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. So this, the Savior, the the Jewish people at this time, it's hard for us to have this in our minds, but just to kind of give you some context of this, the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah's return. I mean, this was a common thing that was talked about on a weekly basis. When's the Messiah coming back? When's he getting here? They were probably very anxiously waiting for the Messiah. They hadn't really heard anything. You know, no prop, the last prophet uh, it was like 400 years before this. So they hadn't heard anything, but they talked about the Messiah. And so the angel almost clarifies the Savior. Uh, yes, the one that you've been looking for, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to to whom those with whom God is pleased. I'll get this right. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. So they went out spreading the message that Jesus was born. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them." Okay, so the, the, here's what we're getting from this, just to summarize this. The shepherds are out in fields nearby, an angel shows up, tells them the good news, the Messiah has been born, and then some other angels show up, begin praising God, They get, shepherds get to go see him. So the shepherds are really the first people outside of Joseph and Mary to know about the birth of Jesus, to know that it happened. Now, This may not seem that strange to you, but shepherds were really people who were kind of looked down on. Uh, They they were not uh, highly esteemed in society, and you want to make sure, like, this is an important message. We want to get this across. Uh, There's a story of Orville and Wilbur Wright, you know, the guys who invented the airplane. I didn't know this about them, but they were bicycle shop owners. Probably should have known that. Probably didn't pay attention in class or something. But they they owned this, like, bicycle shop, repair shop, and uh, they... But when they made this first airplane in 1903, in December of 1903, uh, they got the first flight. It was 59 seconds long, and they were ecstatic about that. And so they sent a telegram to their sister in Dayton, uh, Dayton, Ohio, and it read, First sustained flight today in 59 seconds. And "Hope to be home by Christmas." It sounds like a tweet that like, they couldn't use all the characters. They have like, a really short message. I don't know. I've never written a telegram. maybe some of you know you probably don't know about it. Um, so, but it's this real short message. The sister gets it and is so excited about this. She takes that message. so you know, first flight today, 59 seconds, Hope to be home by Christmas," and takes it to the local newspaper. And then the newspaper, the next day, publishes this. And it's got this story, and it reads, and I want to make sure I get this right, because this was, this, it says, popular local bicycle merchants to be home for the holidays. <laughs> it's like, wait a second, I think we missed part of the message here, like, maybe we should have, maybe I should have clarified the part that was important about this flight. And it, it reminds me of the story of the shepherds, because it, if you, this is a weird people to give the, the news to. You know, at first glance, it is because they were so low uh, on the totem pole of society. Really looked down on the the Mishnah, which is the Ju- Judaism's written record of the oral law, quotes as saying that shepherds are incompetent. And In another part it says that uh, it says no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. Like, wow, that is that's pretty brutal. And so what is the significance of the shepherds? Why would God choose to reveal this message to these people who were kind of looked down on in society? And so that's really what I want to talk about today, is what's the significance of them? But first, uh, you know, why did God choose the shepherds? But first, I gotta, you know, if you're somebody who likes to be like just straightforward and listen to like a very linear sermon, I gotta like go off to the side. I'm gonna rabbit trail here for just a minute. And if, you're just having trouble following this, just zone out for two minutes or so. Just something really cool I, I, I learned in going through this that I wanted to share with you. If you remember last week, we talked about how the manger, the typically what we see, the manger nativity, that we said, well, there's some things that are wrong about it. There weren't really three wise men. Well, we don't know how many. There were three gifts. There could have been 100 wise men. That's a lot. I doubt it's that many. But we don't really know. And the manger really was in a cave, most likely, not how we picture it today. Well, the other thing, and I mentioned it very briefly last week, but... Uh, very, very unlikely that Jesus was actually born on December 25th. I know, sorry to ruin Christmas for you. So, but very unlikely, very unlikely that this happened. Most scholars believe that it was somewhere in the fall and that it wasn't on, you know, even the date. Like, it's not right there at the beginning of BC into AD. It's really more like three or four BC. Um, But there's a a guy, Dr. Michael Heiser, who kind of has this Newer theory about this, and it could be just totally wrong. So I'm just setting that out there, just letting you know, but it's based on Revelation. So I just want to show you this about he thinks he has a good idea, and he even says, I don't know if I'm exactly right, but this is a, just a good theory. I thought it was really cool. I'm sharing it with you. This is from Revelation 12 1 and 2. It says, and this is talking about the birth of Jesus. That's very clear. Everybody, if you read Revelation, you'll see this is very clear. It's about the birth of Jesus. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and she was pregnant, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. So in here, you see a lot of astronomical terms in here. And so he says, this. his thought, and he's an Old Testament scholar, he's... His thought is, if you go back and you look in the Middle East at when did these astronomical things happen, because there's this woman clothed with the sun, the woman is probably Virgo or the Virgin, that constellation, with the sun. clothed with the sun is, is a term that really means like at the midsection, the moon at her feet, and then these 12 stars. He said, if you go back and you look around 2 or 3 BC in that area, there is a window of time that's 80 minutes long where all of these things kind of line up. He said, and it's on September 11th, which I, I don't know the significance of that, but but here is some significance of this. I, yeah, don't get all don't get all conspiracy theory on me here, okay? Calm down, everybody. <laughs> no, but September 11th of 3 B.C. from about 6:15 p.m. to about 7:40 p.m. around there. Uh, September 11th is Tishrei uh, one, tishrei one. I'm sorry, or Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of the Jewish calendar and that is the day in the Old Testament when kings were crowned. Now, isn't that really cool right there? And I could be wrong. I'm just telling you, but so here's what I want you to do. If you're a nerd like me and you want to go look up some of this and then come and talk to me about it, I'd love to hear it. And if uh, you zoned out for a second, okay, we're back on track now. just follow along. So what is the significance here of the shepherds? Why why would God choose these people uh, to give this message to? And I have... I have three things, three areas that I kind of want to focus on. But really, the third one I'm going to drive home. So these first two are pretty quick, but and you can this is on the back of your sermon notes. I think the first reason is because the shepherd's status gives everyone hope. You know, I love that God uses people that society doesn't value. That society will view you as worthless. That you're not good enough, and God is constantly picking those people to esteem, to lift up, and to use. If it were me, and I'm glad it's not me, if I were in God's seat here, I would have picked somebody to reveal this message to that had a lot of influence, that had a lot of money, you know, had a lot of friends, that could really get this message out there, and I'm thankful that it's not me. God loves to pick people, and so the, I think the, the just the message for us is if you are at a point now, and if you're not right now, at some point I think we all have this, where we feel less than, we feel worthless, we feel like we have very little value. I, I think just the, the simple message that God uses the shepherds and doesn't go to some kings or doesn't go to, is because God values everyone. And the birth of Jesus And the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus is for everyone, no matter your status, no matter your sin, no matter what your life looks like, Jesus is for you. The other reason, I think, is because Jesus is the good shepherd. He's called several times the good shepherd. He actually, in in John 10, you can read a whole section about shepherding and about how Jesus is the good shepherd. I've got some of the verses here, 11 through 15. This is Jesus himself talking He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. Here, the hired hand, he's talking about the religious leaders of today, the people who they're really looking out for themselves. They're not really worried about uh, the people in the church, the, the, the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, the hired hand, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down, down my life for the sheep. You know, this is one of these, uh, no matter how many times you read the Bible, this to me is one of those sentences that's just hard to grasp how wonderful this statement is. You can read over it and over it and over it right here. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as. So in the same way that I know my sheep and my sheep know me, Jesus wants that same relationship with us that the Father knows me and I know the Father. You know, I've read that so many times and it's, it's still hard to wrap my brain around that, that God desires that same relationship with us, that Jesus desires that same relationship with us that he does with the Father. And Jesus is the good shepherd in that he lays down. So this is some foreshadowing here. He's like, I'm going to lay down my life to the sheep because I value them so highly. So I think there's, shepherds are in the Bible so many times. You know, we, we can go back and look at the patriarchs. About, you can go look at Abraham and Jacob and Moses. Even King David, he was a shepherd. And so even though the culture right then didn't value them in the Old Testament, they were valued and the shepherds are all throughout the Bible. And Jesus comes in and says, I am the good shepherd. So I think there's some significance here. But then this, this I lay down my life really is foreshadowing. My next point also of what, what Jesus also is called is Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. In John, we hear... John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Mark 15, uh, 33 and 34, Jesus dies at 3 p.m. This is the same time that they would kill the Passover lambs at 3 p.m. John 19, 36, not one of Jesus' bones were broken, just like the Passover lamb. They weren't allowed to have any blemish, anything wrong with them. First Peter 1:19, Jesus is called a lamb without blemish or defect, Then several times in Revelation, Revelation 5, 6, and 13, uh, all talk about Jesus being called the Lamb of God, worthy is the Lamb, he's receiving that praise, worthy is the Lamb who sits on the throne. You, You see there's a theme here of Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now, something interesting about these shepherds, and this is a pretty commonly held thought among scholars, that they believe that these shepherds that heard, because of where they were, the location, in Luke 2, 8, it says they were out of watching over their flocks nearby. That So they're talking about in Bethlehem. They're outside of Bethlehem then. Bethlehem is not far from Jerusalem. Scholars believe that these shepherds were the same shepherds who would prepare the lambs and have... The, give the lambs, sell the lambs to the temple to be sacrificed okay so i want you to think about the significance of this the same shepherds who are responsible for finding lambs to be sacrificed in the temple are the ones who find the lamb of god i mean that's pretty incredible to think about the significance of that now now for you and i lambs don't mean as much but if you were reading this, if you had heard this, and you were living in this day, you knew exactly what a lamb was for. All the Jewish people, even young children, would know, I know what a lamb is for, I, I, I get it, because it was such a part of their culture. For us, it, it, we have to explain it a little more, so I'll, I'll draw that out a little more. But okay, so for example, let's say you just, we're in a different land 2,000 years from now, and I show you this. Uh, you know, we, we'd probably have to give some explanation for this because, be like, why are this donkey and elephant together? What is, what is going on here? But I don't really have to explain that to you. Like, you get it. And you, you even, I don't have to explain, like, political parties and what the affiliation and who's on whose side and, and all of those things. Uh, you get this because that's something that you just understand as part of your culture. And this is the way that it was with the Jewish people. They understood what a lamb was. A lamb really had two primary purposes. And the first one, and this is talking about sacrificing a lamb, a slaughtered lamb took away your sin. A slaughtered lamb took away your sin. If you go and look back and read Leviticus, I know everybody just loves to read through Leviticus, everybody's favorite, right? Go, go back and look at Leviticus 4, and it talks about a, a sin offering, and that's a lamb. And it even says that they would have to put their hand on the lamb while it's being killed. And it's this symbolic of, I'm transferring my guilt onto this lamb to die for me. And it, it, you know, it's it's bloody, it's a bloody mess. They kill the lamb and have to wipe the wipe it on the altar and they have to spread the blood out. It's, yeah, go read it, it's kind of, I mean, it's interesting stuff. But th- everybody knew, this, this was just understood, that a lamb would take away your sin. This was a sin offering. So if you had been dealing, you're like, I've been, I went and murdered somebody. I've been sexually immoral. I've gossiped, slandered. I've been out cheating, stealing, lying, whatever it is. I need to go and sacrifice a lamb on behalf of me to take away my sin. Now Hebrews even talks about that it, it, this was really a shadow of, of what was happening that I don 't know if that was actually what happened, but this is a shadow of, the, of, the, of the, looking towards the future, but this is what a lamb represented taking away my sin. The other thing and this that is just a commonly held belief at this time is that a lamb a slaughtered lamb took away god 's wrath. A slaughtered lamb took away god 's wrath. So this if you go and look back at Exodus, go look in Exodus when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And they had the 10 plagues and let my people go. You know, Moses would come in. And the 10th plague here is the, the death angel would come in. And God said that the death angel is going to come in and kill the firstborn of every single household. It does not matter. The firstborn male of every single household. It doesn't matter if it's the king or the lowliest servant girl. And the firstborn male of even all the livestock as yeah, it's just all, of everybody. God's wrath was being poured out in this way. And the only way to, to abstain from this, to not, not have this happen to you, is the instructions he gave was that you have to kill a lamb and take a hyssop branch and get it and then wipe the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. And God says, whenever I come to look at the door... I won't send in the death angel. I will pass over. And this is where the Passover comes from, if you didn't know that. I will pass over that house and go to the next house. And so, very clearly to people, they knew what this represented. They understood what a lamb represented. And in the New Testament writers, we're making this obvious. I know it's a little less obvious to us because it's not part of our culture. But making it obvious to people that now this is what Jesus does. This is Jesus. We don't have to go sacrifice the lamb to take away our sin. We don't have to sacrifice the lamb and put the blood on a doorpost or anything. We don't have to do any of that for God's wrath. This all was going to happen to Jesus whenever he died on the cross. Now I want to give you just a a little, I want to give you a little bit of hope in this. There's a lot of hope in this, actually. I want to give, I want to just something to think about because I think um, a lot of us, you know, when you read a verse uh, well, let me let me move with this. This is why the, Paul can write something like this because Jesus took this on. There is now just a little bit of condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Is that what it says? No. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you may think, well, well, Taryn, I've given my life to the Lord, and I still feel condemned because I still sin. I still and am, am, there's some things that I'm dealing with. But you think back at the. Back to Exodus, when God would go and look at the doorpost, go back and read it. It doesn't say that God went and looked at the doorpost to see if there was blood on the door, and then he would open the door and see inside and just see, like, are they doing okay? Are things all right in here? Are they they sinning? Are they mad at each other? Are they getting angry? Like, what's going on? All he checked was the blood on the doorpost. Think about what this means for our life. For us, it, you know, we get this confused all the time, I think, and, and definitely people, if you are not a Christian yet and, and you look at Christians and you think, man, they just think they're better than everybody else, that, that's not the truth at all. Actually, I, I think I'm worse than everybody else. That's why I'm so desperately in need of Jesus to save me that's why i need the blood of the lamb to cover me because if when i get to heaven and i'm standing before god which we will all do someday uh, i'm not going to say well god i did a lot of good things and i know i've got some bad things and i think i have more good things it doesn't that's not how it works you're just going to get in front of god and plead jesus that's that's all we have and that's all we need we don't need anything else that's it now i'm not saying here i'm I'm not being light on sin or that we get to go and do whatever we want now. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that what Jesus did on the cross is more than enough. That when Jesus died for you, you taking him on, taking him on as Lord and Savior and giving your life to him is more than enough. And God, when he sees you, sees the Lamb of God. He sees you as perfect, not because you're perfect, because you're very far from that, but because Jesus is perfect. And the New Testament writers completely, completely understood this. I believe they did. When they talked about Jesus being the Lamb, they got it. Uh, one of the, I, I want to close out with this. Um, there's a, really a, a, one of the greatest gospel messages, I think, that we read in the whole Bible actually is not in the New Testament is found in the Old Testament and it so clearly talks about what Jesus did on the cross. it's from Isaiah 53 You should go and read the whole chapter. Um, it, this chapter talks about the suffering servant. This so clearly points to Jesus that even in synagogues today they won't read this chapter because it, it so it is very clear when you read the New Testament, And then look back at Isaiah 53, like everything lines up here between Jesus. And so I I just want to read this, and then we'll kind of close out together. Isaiah 53, 4 through 7. It's all talking about the suffering servant, which we know to be the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. He's the one who took that on. Even though we were the ones he messed up, he took it on. We transferred the, you know, he took that away from us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, this servant, this Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. The shepherds represent, I believe the significance of the shepherds show that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And man, that is reason to rejoice, amen? And I, I just I always want to end with, with saying something like this. Listen, if you have not giving your life to Jesus, and, and there's something in you holding you back because you think, well, I'm not good enough, or I'm not, or I just I just don't know, or if Taryn, if you knew what I did, if you knew how sinful I was, listen, Jesus knows, and he still died, and either you're saying that what Jesus did is not good enough, like his sin didn't cover you, I mean, that just, he is, it, the blood of the lamb is is what covers you. Today, you can give your life to Jesus. There there doesn't have to be any delay on this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I give you my life. I like to use the word surrender. I think that's really what it is, saying, God, I can't do this myself. Somebody has to pay for your sin, though. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin or the cost of sin is death. Somebody's paying for my sin, and praise God that Jesus took that on for us. And so I don't have to pay for my sin. And that doesn't even seem fair. And I'm gonna tell you, it's not fair. Praise God that it's not fair. We don't want it to be fair. So today, if, if, if you want to, you just give your life to him. Say, Jesus, I surrender all to you. We want to talk to you about what next steps would look like with baptism and getting involved in small groups and Bible study. And, uh, but if, if today you want to make that decision, there's some cards in front of you. You can write on the back of those cards, and we, will, we want to be in contact with you and just just lead you through some of that. But if you will, I just ask, go ahead and everybody stand in here with me. Go ahead and stand with me. After this, we, we're going to be taking communion. We have communion up front and in the back. And this communion is this juice and cup, or juice and bread that are together. And this juice represents that blood. That blood that was, that was shed for you and I. And the cracker in there represents Jesus' body as he died on the cross. This is really the time for us to remember, a time for us to celebrate what Jesus has done, that Jesus took on our sin and our shame and our guilt. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray together before we go into a time of communion.